The Secrets of Stargate is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, Episode 19. General West Jackson has identified the seventh symbol. All right, here we go. We are about to try to make a connection. All we got to do is bust out of here, commandeer the ship, and fly on home. Indeed. say that a lot. I know that this could be dangerous, but this is our job, right? It's what we signed on to do. It was never about going home. It's about getting us to where we're going. Hi, I'm Jack Barazzini, and you're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, where we talk about the hidden meanings and deeper layers found in the Stargate movies, TV series, and more. Joining me today are uh, Lisa Jones. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Jack. And Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hi, Jack. Today, we are discussing the 19th episode of the first season of SG-1, Tin Man. Victor, did you want to do a summary for us? Why, sure, Jack. Um, in this episode, SG-1 gates to P3X-989 and finds themselves in an abandoned underground power station with very cool mood lighting. As they explore the facility, they are zapped unconscious by an energy field. They are wakened by a strange man named Harland who greets them with a strange greeting and strangely insists he has made them better. Harland explains that the complex was created 11,000 years ago after the surface of Altair, his planet, was polluted with radiation and that he needs the team to stay to help keep the lights on. SG-1 gates back to Earth and discovers they are all now robots. Jack is very upset. Daniel and Carter think being robots is cool, though this leads them to some questionable ontological insights. Tilk is stoic. With their batteries running out, SG-1 travels back to Altair, and as Jack sinks deeper into Marvin the paranoid android levels of depression and existential angst, the underground station sinks deeper into disrepair. Fortunately for Harlan, who is also a robot, the last of the organic civilization which sought to obtain... obtain Immortality by transferring their consciousness into robots, SG-1 is there to fix it, except for Mecha Teal, who goes crazy, attacks Jack, and is disintegrated by Harlan. Whoopsie. Jack catches Harlan in the act of creating a second Robotilk, version 2 patch nose, uh, you know, removed insanity, and Harlan confesses that their human originals are in fact very safe and can be sent home. After reconciling with their human originals, the SG bots agree to stay behind in Altair to keep the place running. They also vow to bury the gate in order to preserve the security of the SGC. You know what I have to say to that? Come try-a. <laughs> Come try-a. <laughs> this episode is better, yes? Is better. Better. <laughs> the best I've ever felt. <laughs> yeah, I was, I really, really liked this episode. Yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorites too, especially from the first season. Yeah. It, uh dealing with all the different kind of existential questions that they're asking. What are your thoughts on the episode, Lisa? I like it. It's kind of fun. It's like a alter egos, but they don't know that they're the alter egos, egos quite yet. You know, it, it sets up this whole alternate um, plot line because they don't die. They're stuck mm-hmm. there and we do run into them again. So it's a... Oh. Uh, Oh, yeah. Season four. So lots of, uh, you know, it just it kind of opens that door again to something else. Yeah, I guess we can just, you know, we're not worrying about spoilers here, but obviously the big twist is that the robot versions of the SG-1 team are not transplants of their consciences, but in fact copies, which I, I was kind of 
expecting they'd go that way slash hoping they'd go that way because that's really the more interesting story Mm -hmm. way you could do that story. Um, There's actually a game, I don't know if either of y'all play games, um, it's called Soma. And the plot of the game is you are a you're a person in this underground research facility in the future and there's this cataclysmic event that happens and you go unconscious and then you wake up and through the course of the game you eventually find that your actual human persona is dead and you are a copy that's been put into a robot. And throughout the game there are different points where you cannot continue unless you continue to copy your consciousness into a new robot. And then you have to leave the previous one behind. So it kind of deals with that. The same kind of question we have here. Um, but that's what it really reminded me of. Um, it's a fun game, especially on like a philosophical level. Yeah, I'm more of an old school gamer. So this would remind me more of like Geist on the uh, GameCube where you're a, you're a ghost and you jump from, from body to body or robot to robot. Or even um, the original uh, Half-Life where you had to just bang on things with wrenches, which is what they seem to do a lot in in this game. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of that. But, but don't you think it's kind of, I don't know, it kind of ends on like a, a dark, morbid note at the same time? It does. And let's see, we're about two minutes in. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, gotta go track our drink. Do you guys know the episode Course yeah. Oblivion from Voyager? No. <laughs> So this is an episode that was actually a callback to a previous episode where the entire crew of Voyager is actually these like silicate gel replicants of the previous crew and they all start degrading when they're in space and the whole episode like everyone is like dematerializing and dying and then at the very end of the episode like captain janeway is the only one left and the voyager is itself is starting to degrade and then it just completely like dissolves into this plasma and the the last shot in the episode is the real voyager coming up and scanning the field and being like there's some sort of debris field here we don't know what it is and then it ends that's that's really that's kind of the vibe i got from this is like you have these replicants of these people who are just kind of left in the lurch mm-hmm. yeah but they didn't know they were copies and so it's it's almost you you feel it i mean you have all you know carter's arguing the science and daniel jackson's arguing the existential you know mm-hmm. theories and and then you have jack over there who's really ticked off yeah right and i i feel like that was the the humanity of it that he he had his life stolen in yeah. his mind you know because he doesn't know he's he realize or feel like a copy so i don't remember thinking that the first time around that now i'm kind of like Egh. yeah i mean i think the first time when i watched this years and years ago i was like it was more just like very fascinating it's mm-hmm. like oh they're robots now that's that's really cool and then plus you have uh jay uh Brazeau as as harlan <laughs> Um, who is like, I think their first like outright funny alien that they meet. I'm I'm not sure there may be others, but he's just like the first played for comic effect. And yet what he does or, you know, what you think he's done to SG one for most of the episode is just so very dark. I mean, the moment where, you know, Jack cuts into his arm and like the, you know, the Bishop from aliens, you know, the the goo is leaking out of him, and, And then he, you know, he confronts Harlan and he's like, you know, what this is better i'm dead you know it's uh you know i'd i'd be pretty upset too i think right i will say um if you are squeamish about like knives or scenes involving flesh being cut there's kind of a trigger warning here with jack discovering that he is an android um i really like the like the body effects in the in that scene though like i feel like they did a really good job i'm a huge fan of 
how 80s movies did really well with like the creature effects and the physical prosthetics which i feel like in the age of cgi we've kind of lost mm-hmm. so it was nice to see that because i feel like they did a good job with that yeah never watched tetsuo the iron man of course um if that makes you if people turning into robots uh make make you squeamish but um <laughs> the it was kind of amazing. It's like, you know, they, they're these incredibly human, like lifelike robots. And then, you know, when you cut into them, it's base, it's pistons and hydraulic cables. So there's kind of like a disconnect in the level of technology there. But if they had shown it, I guess they really couldn't show it like more, more detailed, uh, you know, machinery inside of them or something. It's kind of like the whole data positronic brain, another Star Trek reference, you know, where they like peel back his head and there's like, you know, Radio Shack LEDs blinking away in there. <laughs> Yeah, but hey, it gets the point across. Yeah. yeah, it looked a lot like Luke's uh, fake arm yes. from uh, Empire. Empire Wonder if they borrowed that. Possibly. Um, I guess it's kind of a pistons for tendons uh, swap out there. Um, and Victor, I know you were looking up the location where they were filming, and you it seems like you found a pretty uh, interesting website. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so this is moviemaps.org, and they seem, uh, fortunately for us, like heavily slanted towards Vancouver locations, <laughs> which <laughs> Stargate is uh, definitely one of them. And this was filmed, as was a number of Stargate episodes, uh, at the uh, Portman Power Station, which I guess is now a metal recycling plant uh, in Vancouver. But uh, perhaps its most famous use, it's been used in a number of SG-1 episodes, but perhaps most famously... Um, when we do get to episode uh, four or season four, there is a episode that takes place in a Russian Stargate facility, and uh, this doubles as that Russian Stargate facility as well. So we haven't seen the last famous. of this. I thought you were going to say beneath the surface. Uh, we really get to see it there. <laughs> yes, we do beneath the surface, and then and then proving ground as well, where it's uh, you know basically a training facility. So. Yeah, it's a very interesting site. You can see all your favorite, you know, Flash or Supergirl or Battlestar Galactica locations and how these things are are used over the years by all these different shows. Yeah, it's always fun to, like, when you see something that you know what it's from, kind of picking out those little things. Like, they're almost like production Easter eggs that you don't really, you're not going to pick up on unless you're actually interested in that side of television production. Yeah, on on that note, I happen to be, uh, I lived in a, in a, uh, uh, you know, town in Michigan where they happen to be shooting Scream 4. And I didn't know they were shooting Scream 4 until I was walking my dog one morning and walked uh, through our little, you know, town square. And I saw these huge tents filled with like clothes, racks and racks of clothes and stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, are they having like a, a tent sale or something here? And then I saw all these uh, police cars marked up with like a different town that I didn't recognize. And then Finally, I realized, oh, yeah, they're shooting a movie here and they have all these different, you know, police cars with like Westboro, you know, police department written on it and stuff. And uh, it's it's yeah, it's it's very cool when you when you do uh, know the location and then can pick it out uh, in the movie. I still have not seen Scream 4, uh, of course, but I was about to say, I remember watching that movie and I remember absolutely hating it. So. There you go. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, they didn't. They didn't get me in the background walking. Uh, uh, walking see, bandit, our dog. Like, but, I need yeah. to go back and rewatch it and see if I can see Victor with his dog. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just looking very confused, staring around, like what's going on. But yeah, 
So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, confusing uh, moments in here. But one thing I do really uh, appreciate is the world building that you get of this world, Altair. Uh, you know, a dying world transferred their consciousness into robots. And then you learn that uh, most of the people, you know, either went crazy and had to be deactivated or just, you know, gave up, went up to the surface of the planet and just walked off and committed suicide. So. Yeah. Um, kudos to Harlan for, for having them, you know, sheer force of will to keep it together. See, that's not the way I took that. I almost took it as a more dark, sinister thing. It's like, he's the only one left and he's telling us what happened to the rest of them. What actually <laughs> oh. <laughs> happened to the rest of them? Like under his very, uh, affable, uh, goofy facade, what lies Ooh. beneath what I'm wondering. It's a family show. <laughs> <laughs> so they say. No, Harlan's cool. Yeah. I do also like, um. I, I picked up on this during the episode, but they also mentioned this on the wiki entry, actually. But his name Harlan is uh, appears to be a reference to the sci-fi writer Harlan oh. Ellison. Um, he was known for the Star Trek original series episode City on the Edge of Forever. He also wrote the story I Have No Mouth, But I Must Scream, which is a very, very weird, depressing story if you're into that kind of sci-fi. And just the whole vibe I get from this episode definitely feels like something that Harlan Ellison would have wrote so i wonder if that was a direct connection there like that existential kind of horror that's going on yeah and i, I think so and uh, incidentally the um the point and click adventure game based on i have no mouth but i must screen is much better than the story uh <laughs> but no it was it was funny because i watched this with the captions on and they never refer to Harlan by name in the captions. They just refer to him as capital H and then a period, which is very strange. And whenever he says uh, his his alien greeting, it just says, you know, like alien language or greeting an alien language. And they never actually spell it out, too, which was I had the captions on so I could figure out how to spell it. But well, that was I think no help. You were, I think you weren't paying attention because Jack said what it was. It was Kumbaya. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Kumbaya. They did. They did. Yeah. Aloha. Yeah. It is funny because it seems like it's used kind of like how Aloha is used. It means mm. pretty much everything. Yeah, it's, a, it's yeah. a greeting, yeah, exc uh, exclamation, everything, yeah. It was funny. That's how my family, that's how we referred to this episode. When I told them we were watching yeah. Tin Man, they couldn't remember which one was Tin Man. And then and then all of a sudden they were like, come try it. They're like, oh, it's that <laughs> one. Nice. <laughs> and I, th I think the probably the funniest use of that, and it's buried, is when they are you know, warp core breach eminent, you know, and they have to vent, vent plasma through the conduits and stuff. The computer voice in the background is like, you have succeeded in venting sufficient, you know, steam. Come try off. Oh, yeah. yeah. That fun. <laughs> I like, I always like when they do this thing where they use like an industrial facility for an alien planet, um, watching in the background where you get like, you know, the alien stickers on the wall and the alien text where they've covered things up. But then you see things that are clearly just like, that's just like a hex wrench or a, uh, yeah. like a Phillips head or a flathead, like <laughs> all these different human things. Like, it's fun to pick those kind of things out in that kind of setting. So like an evolutionary biologist would say there's, you know, an evolutionary advantage or selection, you know, to having, you know, bolts or nuts with, uh, you know, six sides or you know, being a standard uh, size and shape, if you have, you know, a person with, you know, five fingers and stuff, you're going to, you know, technology is going to evolve a, a certain way, I think. Right. I'm just being overly generous, probably. But <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. It's always so, fun. So what do we think about another advanced race, right? Old race, but it doesn't seem to, they don't know the gold. 
and it doesn't really fit in the rest as we create the timeline going backwards, you know, as the series progresses, we kind of forget they exist. Like, where do they fit? I mean, because they're older. I mean, you stop and think about it. If he's, what, 11,000 years old? And that was at the very end, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, yes. I don't really know, but I, I just was thinking about it. Like, we're the ancients, and then you've got the ghoul, and you've got the, the, the stargates, and who created them, and... This, That's this a, kind of seeds before all of that, doesn't it? Yeah, th- that is a very good question. And I guess my headcanon would be that these are unascended ancients who tried to, you know, we, we do run across, um, you know, the Asurans and stuff later on in Atlantis and the granted they're robots too, who try to ascend, but, uh, you know, for whatever reason they couldn't. So these could have been ancients who, uh, you know, maybe tried to ascend, couldn't, and then as a last shot at immortality, put themselves into into robots um so that would be my headcanon at at this point that would kind of fit just thought it was interesting uh you know perplexed because there's another one another race that's old that's technologically advanced who doesn't know who the gold are yeah i would wonder so they have the stargate right in the middle of this facility Mm -hmm. and it seems to be a problem that people are coming through like i kind of imagine if you're kind of on the brink of your societal collapse you would if you're putting the Stargate in your underground facility that's running your planet while everyone has to be turned into a robot, why don't you just use the Stargate to go to another planet? <laughs> that was my biggest issue with this episode. Is like, why is the Stargate there? I yeah. Mean, I guess you could say they didn't know how to dial it, but it was they had all the equipment, so I'm going to assume they at least had some idea of what was going on. Oh, that's a good question, too. Maybe when did they... the ancients see the galaxy with Stargates, too? Was that over 11,000 years ago? Or did they just like drop in and say, hey, we're just going to put a Stargate in your underground base? See ya, you know, we'll, you know, <laughs> right. Maybe yeah. that's where they went with their original bodies and they left their robots there. That would be a yeah. cool uh, story to explore. Yeah. So, so let's flip to SG, SGC. So they get back. They, they think they're them. Again, you've got Janet Frazier being like, everything's fine, except for you don't have a heartbeat. And that's kind of cool, except for now I got to draw your blood and then lock them up and then oh yeah, throw them back through the Stargate. Well, I mean, Jack did have to convince him to let them go through the Stargate <laughs> instead of like, you know, SG3 or something. Right. Yeah. And it was because he knew, you know, General Hammond's granddaughters were Tessa and Kayla, um, uh, which is probably his password on his computer there, too. Probably. Uh, <laughs> I did read those are uh, Brad Wright. Those are his daughter's names. Oh, okay. That's where the names came from. I really like how they handled that whole um, interaction, though. I think that Jack definitely was actually the least reasonable in terms of how everything was going. Like, the way Janet Frazier handled it, the way that uh, Hammond handled it, and the way that both um, Carter and uh, Daniel responded to it was hey we're robots now and we weren't before so it's reasonable they'd be suspicious of us and jack just seems to be like very hard-headed about that kind of thing he's like well i know who i am that's not the point they don't know who you are and this isn't the first jack o'neill duplicate that's That's come through the gate (laughs) that's true right you think he would you think he'd remember that and then kind of be like oh yeah that's right yeah that was to show us how sure he is that he is the real one like they they really think that they are themselves. 
and yeah. they didn't even notice. And you think about it, Teal didn't even notice he didn't have Junior. That's true. He's just like, oh, I don't actually have him. It's like, how long did it take you to figure that out? <laughs> and we get we get Daniel's uh, cold scientific clinical side coming out immediately instead of being like, I'm a robot now. This is terrifying. He's like, oh, this is interesting. Let's think about the implications <laughs> of it. And that's I, I get that from like a analytical level, but on like a human level, I feel like you you'd be more terrified of that. And again, but I guess he, it's just his disposition. And by the end, where Daniel's arguing with Daniel, and they're like, "Let's solve all of the, you know, philosophical issues." Yeah. And then he realizes he's going to be trapped there, and it's like, "Okay, I'm thinking, hmm, wife, still is a ghoul that you wanted to go rescue, but he's kind of forgotten that the last many episodes." It just makes me think of. Um... That scene in Austin Powers where he's like, my wife was a robot. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I'm single again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you could, you could tell right away that while Daniel may be married, he's not a dad because the first thing he would have done is actually do the robot dance <laughs> when he found out he was that, a robot. That is true. Dad jokes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 11,000 going on infinity, I always say. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and uh oh i was just gonna say this whole thing could also be just in like an allegory of like having a career as well you know like you can leave on vacation but sooner or later you have to go back to work or your batteries run down and they'll they'll stop paying you and then when you get back your boss says here's where you belong now here's the only place you can be it's a (laughs) I'm, yeah. I'm kind of sad for you now. For your work. <laughs> I was about to say, no, it's <laughs> that, uh, that depressing view on that. Um, but yeah, no, I did like a, they apparently have the uh, battery life of a 2002 iPod. Yeah. Two, two hours and you got to plug them back in. They, they fix that in version two. They do. Yeah. Yeah. They get to travel a little bit more. They, uh, okay. So the episode being Tin Man when I looked up that, and I, I guess I'd never connected the dots. There's a ton of Wizard of Oz references. Oh, really? SG-1, Atlantis. Um, I don't know about f- further, but but at least those two shows. There's a Yeah, I'll have to pull up. It was on a website, and they had all these different quotes. You know, we're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah. All kinds of stuff that we've heard already um, so far in season one. But I couldn't find why. Is it just because Wizard of Oz is such a common, everybody knows it? Or or did someone who's making the show have a connection to it? Yeah. Well, it does explain why uh, playing Dark Side of the Moon, every time I watch an episode, it actually lines up perfectly. So, And explains all those scenes in Atlantis, too, where the talking trees are throwing apples at the cast and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it's because... You know, it it's it up. You know, the the age of the people writing the show at the time that was a cultural touchstone for fifty years. And if you grew up and you had like three TV channels, Wizard of Oz was something that that would be playing a lot. And That's true. there weren't a lot of kids' movies. You know, at the time we didn't have this whole animation industry that we uh, have now. And so, Wizard of Oz, I think, it would just be part of the lexicon of everybody writing writing fiction at the time. Mm-hmm. You're, you're right about that. I mean, everybody yeah. knows follow the Old Book Road. Or at least over yeah. a certain age, you know. So, yeah, I just thought it was interesting because I hadn't. I, once I started reading through the quotes, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" But I hadn't put it together before now. 
So it's similar to how in if you look in Star Trek, there's a lot of oblique references to um, Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, really? That movie? Yeah, yeah. I remember the movie. I didn't know that Star Trek, like the new shows, had picked there's up on that. Lot. It's in you know, it's in the old series. Like, there's even a scene in Deep Space Nine where there's like a watermelon just on a desk randomly. Oh, as nice. A homage to that movie. Yeah, like there's yeah. a lot of references to that. What's that Star watermelon Trek? doing here? I'll tell you I'll later. Tell you later. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a couple of seasons, we're going to get a lot of Simpsons references. Yes. In Stargate. Dope. Yeah. Nice. We even get a Simpson actor as well. Nice. That's awesome. A little crossover. Yeah. Uh, oh, I was going to say, uh, did you have any other additional thoughts on this episode, Lisa? No. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 one more time, we got, Carter got the whole, you're a female, with like, creepy oh, giggle, yeah. a little Harlan giggle. It was awkward and icky. Yeah. It made me worry. And then she wakes up in different clothes, and you're like, hmm, that was weird. I didn't like that. And Harlan kept referring to Teal as different. He is different, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and they were like, don't go there, dude. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a little weird. Um. Other than that, the other thing I found when I was looking this up is there is an album on Amazon Music, the best of Stargate SG-1 music by Joel Goldsmith. Oh, nice. So you can go Amazon Music, which I don't subscribe to, so I couldn't listen without paying, but it's out there. Oh, Oh, that's pretty cool. And speaking of the music here, um, when when Teal'c does go go nuts and attack uh jack we do get the return of the you know the gould menacing gould theme you know the da 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 you know as he's like doing that and so it's it's cool we we, we get to you know get that back even though there's no actual gould in that scene because uh Teal's a robot and doesn't have a little robot symbiote uh which would have been cool to see but no there's there's a lot I, I did appreciate you know harlan basically fixing the pipes with flex seal you know walking yeah. around that's a lot of damage and uh, you know, those little, uh, plumber's putty and stuff that he puts on there. Um, so I, I appreciate it. What he got there with Carter's probably going to, what, revolutionize the whole place and. Oh yeah. Get an one neck with a generator. Efficient. And then yeah. you've got Tilk yeah. with all the muscle, you know, being able to do everything. They also never explain why they have to be in that building to be powered up. Like I almost feel like a better solution would have been whatever power source you need, let's take it with us and then everyone can leave yeah it, it, they do say that like the power that the facility generates has a you know is what's powering them and there's a sphere of you know power influence that's that they're trapped within yeah it's like that wireless charger i gotta set my iphone on just right or it's not gonna oh charge. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> do you see how excited carter was when she saw a computer yes yeah, and, and the NEC and the NEC monitor on it that just happened to be covered with duct tape, so you couldn't see the NEC logo on it. And, we noticed yeah. that at our house too. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Radio Shack parts right there on that desk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, before we go, we'd like to uh, cover some fantastic uh, feedback that we have received. Um, this is from Suzanne Braun, aka Hawthor herself. She says, really fun podcast, guys. I love the fact that you thought I look like Jessica Rabbit, too. Boom. And might we remind you, we are a goddess and a system lord. 
So we always get our own way. I think that that is just absolutely the best statement I've ever heard. I I can't think of anything. I I can't think of any better feedback either. And I was the one who made the the comment and I just feel horrible about it. I was completely wrong, especially since, uh, you know, Suzanne Brown is the one who won the, the South America's Most Beautiful Woman in 1993. Um, and Jack, did you know that she was born on February 29th? She's a leap year baby. I mean, how awesome is that? Oh my I, it, and we got feedback from her. I, I and did you know she, that episode should have been done all female episode? Look at y'all. It's even through the airwaves. Y'all are getting all that pheromones coming in. <laughs> but she sang on the goldfish hit song all night. And that was like 11 weeks and number one on the charts. I mean, come on, guys. Can you not see? the number one episode of stargate honestly i think we can just we can just end the podcast after that (laughs) (laughs) but seriously how cool was that 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 was very cool yes thank you thank you so much twitter that's awesome yeah yes thank you so much uh suzanne braun for giving your feedback on that it is it's really cool to hear from the actual actors who are on the show we have a great time with it and we really appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an honor to, you know, to have these people who we've, we've, we enjoy their work so much. We enjoy, uh, you know, these episodes. Sometimes we, we kid, but it's, it's done with affection. We, we, we love the show and we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't love the show. And so thank you so much for, for taking the time to provide your, your feedback. We, we appreciate it. And like I said, it's a great honor for us. Yeah, most definitely. And before we go, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Stargate, including Elizabeth T., Carrie B., Jason E., James I., and Adam S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Stargate and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Be sure to follow the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or on the SQPN YouTube channel. To find previous episodes of Secrets of Stargate and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com stargate. You can email us at stargate at sqpn.com or follow StarQuest on social media at facebook.com starquestmedia or on Twitter at sqpn.com. You can also join the StarQuest fan club mailing list by texting StarQuest to 66866. Send StarQuest to 66866. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode of SG-1, There But For The Grace Of God. Until then, Lisa Jones, thank you in joining me in sharing the secrets of Stargate. Thanks, Jack. And Victor Lambs, thank you as well. Thank you, Jack. I'm feeling much, much better. (laughs) And once again, I'm Jack Barazzini. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Stargate on StarQuest. Anyway, I'm sorry, but that just happens to be how I feel about it. What do you think? Come try, uh...